Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah show kicks off. So I hope you guys have had a very relaxing an enjoyable long weekend. I know I did. Uh, not to not to make this program about politics, um, particularly U.S. politics, but there is an important um, difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And uh, this week, I just started asking people. You know, I was at a attended a number of different barbecues, spent some time out at the lake, spent some time out camping, and when I would ask the question. What's the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day? I just kept finding people didn't have the answer to it. Or they would pull out their phone, Google it, and then give me the answer as if I, w- I was just asking. But uh, Memorial Day is the day that we remember the veterans that are no longer with us. Veterans Day are the day that we honor the veterans that are with us. I've never served in the military, but uh, my grandpa did. And uh, he was very proud of his service, and so I, I always think of him on Memorial Day and, and of course, on Veterans Day. Uh, but just that's a reminder to any of you that enjoyed the long weekend that we remember why we have that long weekend, at least here in the U.S. And uh, for those of you across the pond, I hope you had an enjoyable weekend nonetheless, even if there isn't a specific holiday to, uh, even if there wasn't a specific holiday for you to uh, to celebrate on. But uh, one of the things that I enjoy is time to get away. It allows my brain to refresh and it allows me to dive into some of the projects that I don't usually have time to dive in to on a daily basis when I'm working. And uh, I've, I've come on this program a couple of times. In fact, I opened last week or so by saying, I think that UltraSpeed Technologies very nicely dovetails into the show because the things that I learn in the field are things that I can bring back and talk about on the air. Well, this week I had kind of the opposite experience. I was completely unplugged from my company from about, oh, I don't know, Friday at 3.50, 4 o'clock, somewhere in there, and continued to stay unplugged until uh, this morning. And um, I, I dove into a really interesting project, and I'm excited to share that with you. Uh, involves a brand new open source project, brand new open source program, and uh, also is quite heavily involved with ham radio and uh, two of my favorite things. So we'll get to that as the show rolls on, but we're going to go to the phones first because, of course, callers always go to the front of the line. Ian calls from Calgary, Canada. Hey, Ian. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, thanks for having me on there, Noah. Okay. I'm looking to put a, I, I know that you're into home automation. I've heard you talk about it a few times. I had um, a lock on the front door with a keypad. Um, it said it was a smart lock, but basically the only smartest thing it did was uh, automatically lock after 30 seconds. <laughs> but what I'm looking at is, is uh, you know, I've seen Zigbee and, and Z-Wave. I've read that sometimes uh, um, one of them is more open than the other. 
and different ranges, etc. I'm just wondering, I'm looking to integrate it with Ohm Assistant. So I, I guess I need some sort of a, a dongle or something on the on the tie, what I'm going to run it on. Um, I'm just, what, what do you suggest for a front door lock or would you go for Zigbee or Z-Wave or basically your experience here? Sure. Uh, I've not heard of Z-Way. Uh, of course, I've heard and, and extensively used Zigbee, really like Zigbee, like what they have to offer. Zigbee, to me, is the evolution and the maturity of what used to be X10. And I know that there are different protocols. I know that they're they're entirely separate systems. But where X10 felt to me like a dirty science project, like a bad science project, Zigbee took all of the things that I liked about X10, the interoperability, the open standards, all of that stuff, paired it with a more modern workflow, uh, but stays away from this this cloud-like, you have to go up to the central server, right? So the Zigbee devices, they're all communicating locally. So I like that. So uh, I, and I've not heard of Zedway. It might be just as good or even better than Zigbee. Um, but of those two options, because I, because I know how robust Zigbee is and because I know how many people are using it successfully, I would recommend Zigbee. As far as a specific door lock, I don't have a, a great suggestion for you, primarily because I don't. I have never. I've never installed any of the residential style uh, locks. I I've always done the commercial style locks, and and because and I'm not saying this is a good thing, and I'm not saying you should do this, but I'm just explaining. I have I have always gone the HID the carry systems that route where you have a RFID credential and it unlocks the door. And so all of those, all of the door locking components that I use in all of our home automation stuff, they're all independent. So I'll, I'll break that down a little bit for you because I'm sure that's confusing. So we have two different kinds of door locks that we can use, a fail safe lock and a fail secure lock. An example of a fail safe lock would be a magnetic door closure. So there's a little magnetic plate that goes on the door. And when you provide power to the locking mechanism it energizes an electromagnet and holds the door shut with 1500 pounds of force so it'd take more force to rip the door off the hinges than it would be to separate those two magnetic plates and so we consider the door locked now if you lose power for any reason or if the system fails for any reason that door fails safe it fails in a safe in a safe mode where you can the door is free to open and you can exit the premises the second type of locking mechanism that you can use is what we call a fail secure lock. And an example of a fail secure lock would be something like, there, I mean, oh, oops, sorry about that, uh, would be a, a, an example of, uh, example of a fail secure lock would be something like a, magne a, a, um, a strike lock. An electric strike lock would be a lock that goes in, in the door frame, in the door jam, and when power is provided to the electric strike, the strike that it releases a bolting a bolt mechanism and then the strike is is free to open and shut so a very primitive basic form of a of a smart lock would be something like you would connect a let's t take the uh let's take the strike for example a very basic uh, a smart lock would be something like you would connect the gpio of raspberry pi to this electric strike and when the raspberry pi uh, gpio contact closures short a given circuit power is provided to the electric strike and the door is unlocked and when you remove power then the door is unlocked uh, and you could do the same with a magnetic lock except when power is provided in this case the door is locked and we're prov 
powers lost and the doors unlocked, so on and so forth. Are you with me so far? I, I realize I haven't directly answered your question yet, but is so far what I've explained make sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense because I'd looked at the because Zigbee is the open standard and right. Redwave, it's it's done by Silicon Labs. It's more proprietary, um, but they're basically the same. And I wanted something that um, because I've got WeMo switches and, and various other things, and but they always have a cloud component. And I was looking for something that you know if they shut down, I've got some sort of my own my own hub, you know, uh, and that's what I'm looking for really. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, so, so basically, I guess we have always we've always put together our own system. So we've taken the, that locking mechanism and we've added onto it some sort of controller and then some sort of access device. So you'd have either a pin pad or an RFID reader or something that pairs to your smartphone or whatever, and we would we would build that system together. Now, if you're looking for a drop-in solution, the the, the one that I'm aware of that, I, and again, I haven't personally installed these myself. I don't have them in my house, and I try to only recommend stuff on the air that I have personally used. And so I just want to make it abundantly clear that I have not used this particular solution. But I have, I have known other installers, and I have been to other people's house who have used the Schlage Z-Wave uh, locking mechanism. And um, my understanding is, so there are two, it's, it's confusing because there are two locking, there are two lock manufacturers. There is, uh, there's, well, there's more than two, but there are two, two big ones that compete in the smart lock world, and that's Schlage and Quickset. Both of them have a long, long history of making quality locks for um, both residential and commercial. However, I, knowing a number of locksmiths and knowing a number of people that work in the security world tend to have a higher uh, respect for the quality of the locks that Schleg makes as opposed to Quickset. And so even though uh, the Schleg is a Z-Wave device, and I believe the Quickset one is the Zigbee device, uh, my suggestion would be to look into the Schleg device. I can't necessarily vouch for the technical part of it, the smart lock function of it, but I can absolutely vouch for the robustness of the lock itself. And uh, to, to, put, to, to bring that point home... One of the issues that JB1 suffered for a while was they actually had a, a quick set uh, automatic lock. It wasn't a smart lock. It was just a, you know, you punch in a pin and, uh, and it failed after a couple of years. And, um, you know, I, I took it apart a little bit to, to see if I could fix it. And there, there was all these plastic gears that move the bolt in and out and they had eroded away after so many times of being pushed in and out. Now, that was complicated by a couple of other situational things. But the fact is that the lock was not as as well built as the Schlage one that I also that I do have that is on our shop door, uh, which is again it's just kind of a pin pad thing, not a smart lock. Um, but the locking mechanism, all of those parts inside of there are metal. So from a fr from a lock standpoint, that that's where I would go. And again, I I, I apologize that I have not dig dug into the um, consumer grade lock stuff enough to actually make a recommendation, you know, for which drop in lock to use. Um, if I was installing a locking system, the locking system that I have at my house, again, we use a dedicated controller that controls a lock. So I can put any kind of lock I want on the door. I can put any kind of access control device I want on the outside of the door. But if you're looking for a drop-in replace, or if you're looking for just a drop-in smart lock, I'd recommend the, the Schlage Z-Wave, and I will have a link for that in the show notes. Excellent. Thanks, Noah. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll have a look at that. They may even do a Zigbee one as well. I, I don't know. I'll have to have a look. Quite possibly. And the other thing, and this is one of the things that's nice, and you already said that you... Oh, sorry. Did you have a second question? No. 
Nope. Okay. Uh, th- one of the things, and you had mentioned this, uh, that you that you were that you were going to use, you know, a, a home automation controller, home assistant in, in your case. But one of the reasons that you want to do that is having a particularly an open central hub that connects all of your smart devices together is how you're going to get the best quality and how you're going to get the best usability out of all those devices. Because one thing I have seen, and I've watched this happen over and over and over again, and I may have even gone into an on-air rant about it in the past, is you have people and they will purchase a smart device, be it a lamp controller or a light switch or whatever, and they install the app on their phone and they go, I have a smart light because I can turn it off and on with my smartphone or I can control it with my, you know, lady in a, in a box. To me, that is not a smart device. It certainly isn't home automation. You're not automating anything. Nothing is automated. You've just changed the way that you can turn on or off the lights. In fact, really, it's honestly not terribly different. It's <laughs> installing an app on your phone and putting a light switch in and then tapping the button on your phone or or using your lady in a box to do it is really just a 2018 version of the clapper. You know, clap on, clap off. It's the same thing. It's just uh in 2018 we we it can recognize speech instead of claps. So, you know, whoop de doo. To me, home automation is when I have a central controller that is paying attention to all of the things that are happening inside of the house and making decisions accordingly. I'm just having this conversation with a good friend of mine. When I arrive at my house, I need the house to be aware that I've arrived at the house. And in my case, I don't necessarily want the cloud knowing that. So I want a small little transponder that goes inside of my car that I can use to either open the garage door but at the very minimum, I want the house to, to be aware that I've pulled back up in the driveway. And when I've arrived at the driveway, I want a series of things to happen. I want the lights on the, at, the, at the perimeter of the house to come on because I want to see my way into the door. I want the security system to disarm at when I prevent, present a valid RFID credentials to the locking system. So I want the door to unlock. And I also want the security system on the inside of the house to unlock. At the time that I unlock the house, I would also like the interior lights of the house to come on and illuminate my path into the house. And then I want motion detectors to track where I am in the house, turn on all of the lights where I am, and turn off the lights where I no longer am and where my kids are no longer are at. I also want the temperature system to be aware of my presence in the house and which room I'm in. So in our house, we have a five-zone heating and cooling system. And so if I'm in the bedroom area, from the back bedroom area, I don't necessarily, I mean, we live in a 4,000 square foot house. I don't necessarily need the kitchen, which is at the opposite end of the house, to, to be heated or cooled to a comfortable temperature at that point. I only need that during certain hours of the day when I'm eating dinner or when I'm eating breakfast or when anybody's out there, right? And so I need the house to track all of those things and, and, then, and then make decisions based on them. And if I had to tell a tube or my smartphone well, I want you to turn this on or turn this off or connect this or disconnect that or move this or move that. Well, I may as well just go do it myself. I can just walk to a thermostat and turn turn the temperature down. I want the house to automatically adjust it. That's what I mean by home automation. But in order to get that level of integration, in order to get the security system to talk to the door control system, for the door control system to talk to the light switch, to, for the light switches to talk to, you know, all of this, the sound system, for example, all of those things have to be able to talk together. And the, and it, you you can either go one of two ways. You can go the Apple route, which is 
buy all of the stuff from us in our infrastructure and then your iPhone will work with your iPad, will work with your iMac, will work with your iTunes, will work with your iCloud, will work with your iWhatever. That's one way to do it. The other way to do it is to use open devices that have an integrated standard, a, a set forth standard that all of these devices can talk together. Now, Zigbee does that. But there are also ways to do that with, in the example of access control, you can do it with just closed contacts. So my access control system actually has a set of pins. And if you short the pins, the door opens. If you unshort the pins, the door doesn't, or it locks. And because that is a universal language, pins closed or pins open, I can control that with something as simple as a Raspberry Pi or as elaborate as a home automation server that it, even the lights, I could program one of them, and we have one of the switches for our light controller uh, in the various rooms is a door release, and I can hit the door release, and it will unlock the front door. And that's because the door, the door, or the, um, excuse me, the lighting control system has closed contact outputs, and the door system has closed contact inputs. And it also has a door sensor, so I can tell when the door is open or closed, which is helpful for tying into the security system. So it, it all talks together. That's my point. And uh, so I, I thank you very much, Ian, for the for the uh, for the the soapbox to be able to talk a little bit about home automation and some best practices, as it were. But if I were you, that's what I would do. I would take a look at the Schlage again. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. But I'd I'd also recommend if you know if it's beyond your budget or beyond the level of integration that you want to do, then I guess don't worry about it. But if it were me, if it's my money, I'm looking into an actual uh, controller system um, because I think that's more expandable. I think that's more flexible. So I can take any of my doors there. I tend to use the magnets because I think they're cleaner and neater, and I, I don't like the sound of the uh, electric strikes. But the nice thing is I can swap that access control system, what sits outside and listens for credentials. I can swap that to HID. I can swap it to carry. I can swap it to one of the many open you know, RFID standards, I could swap it to a Bluetooth device and whatever that pairs to my phone doesn't matter because at the end of the day, all I need is something that can control 12 volts to and from the lock. Justin calls from Texas. Hey, Justin, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hi, Noah. Um, thank you, by the way, for your introduction there. As a veteran, I definitely do appreciate that. Uh, yes, sir. I had a question about... Uh, I had a question about QuickBooks or Quicken Alternatives. Uh, my mom uh, has finally gotten tired of paying for a subscription every year, and she's asked me to find an alternative for her, but I unfortunately haven't been able to find a lot, and I don't really have a lot of time looking for uh, for something like that. She's ideally looking for something that could sync up with her bank uh, and just let her balance her checkbook. I was wondering if you had any suggestions. Yeah, uh, so... I, so you, you, basically, she's trying to emulate the checkbook register, but but she wants control over that and to be able to add some more detail to that and categorize and all that that kind of thing. Yeah, basically for taxes and all that uh, all that other stuff. Um, she uh, gets tired of paying for those subscription fees. Yeah, I'm, I got I, you. I, I host her Netflix server, so <laughs> yeah, there you go, good man. Uh, so what I have really gone to for personal budget, for personal budget, personal finance, and I absolutely love it. And I mean, I, I hands down love it. And I, I should, uh, I don't get any money from these people. I have no affiliation with them whatsoever. I just think they make a fantastic, fabulous product. And it is a product called every dollar and it's a free service. Every dollar.com. They do offer a premium service and, uh, all the features that, so I'll start with just the, the basic service, everything from every dollar, 
uh, is free. You sign up for an account. You can just use it for free indefinitely. All of the features are there. It's great. And uh, one of the things that I think sets every dollar above and apart every other personal finance software like Mint or all those other uh, Quicken even, any of those other software is it allows you to plan ahead and then track what has been done. So, for example, I can ahead of time say I want to spend, you know, seven, uh, uh, you know, seven hundred dollars on groceries for our house, and uh, and that, that's what I'm aiming to spend. And I don't. And if I so if I go drastically above that or drastically under that, I want to be made aware of that. And the software will actually tell me, hey, just so you know, you overspent by 150 bucks. And so where where inside of your budgeting process do you want to you want that other $150 to come from? And so it allows you to kind of plan out your finances rather than kind of reacting to it and saying, where, where did that money go? Now for the, and so, so by default, you can go through and then at the end of the month, you can go through and say, okay, I spent this much at, at uh, Walmart and this much at Kmart and this much for this. And this was groceries and that was betting. And this was, you know, kids activities and this was that, whatever. So on, this was entertainment, so on and so forth. And that's all free for I, and it's not very expensive. It's like nine bucks a month or something like that, or maybe maybe fifteen bucks a month. For a, for, they have a premium service, and with the premium service, what they allow you to do is actually connect your bank to every dollar. And every time you swipe your debit card, every time you write a check, every time you make an ATM withdrawal, it will automatically add an entry in every dollar and then you can just drag that entry to whatever category you want to log it under so you know groceries or entertainment or whatever and then you can always go back and of course look at your budget and say oh okay well that's this is what i spent money on or that's where i overspent or this is where i needed to save more money or whatever it is but it it approaches finance in a slightly different way rather than just duplicating what your checkbook register already tells you it gives you a little bit more control a little bit more flexibility and adds a couple more features on top of that for tracking and planning and i think planning is a part that's missed okay uh, some some other ones to look at if 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 you take a look at every dollar and decide it's not for you the the go to one the one that everybody's going to recommend the, the one that half the audience is thinking about they are ha half of them are thinking about uh, gnu cash uh, I, ugh, I have a hard time recommending GNU cash. I've tried it. It is incredibly painful to figure out the, the interface of it. And, um, it's primarily geared more towards sm small business rather than personal finance, even though a lot of people use it for, for personal finance. Homebank is really good. I would say Homebank is probably on par to Quicken. If you want software on your computer, the problem is if the, the, one of the nice things that Intuit provides with Quicken is the backup services and the, the and and the cloud integration and all of that, and HomeBank doesn't have any of that. Every dollar does, so that's why I tend to use Every Dollar. There's nothing particularly private about my my finances, and the company that runs Every Dollar seems to be pretty trustworthy. Uh, they've not had any you know major identity you know theft problems, anything like that. Uh, so I've been pretty happy with it. I've used Mint. I've used Quicken. Again, I've used HomeBank. I tried GNU Cash. Didn't particularly care for that. There is one. Um, I think it's just called K Money. Oh yeah, here it is. K My Money. K so My Money. Yeah, K My Money. And um, good. I I looked at that one and GNU Cash. Couldn't really figure out how to get them working, and that's kind of what prompted my call because I just. I, I felt a little in over my head. Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly how I felt about. Uh, I've not tried K my money. I've just I've heard of it. That's exactly how I felt when I used GNU Cash. I'm going to put a link to Homebank. You won't find that with Homebank. You'll find Homebank is incredibly 
uh, straightforward and user. And it, it, it's very intuitive. I really like home bank. I'm also going to put a link to every dollar because if that, that's what I'm personally using. And uh, I will probably never use a, another piece of, of uh, a personal finance software. I'm so happy with it. If anything, I'll, I'll end up paying for the uh, premium service to tie it into my bank account. At the moment I don't really care because I don't, I don't tend to care about categorizing every single dollar transaction. Like if I spent you know, a dollar fifty on a candy bar at a gas station. I don't really care if that's exp- you know if I account for that. Really, what I want to know is big picture. I spent fifty dollars this week on miscellaneous junk at at the gas station, and I, I want to I want to track all of that. I want to make sure I understand where all that money is. But I don't necessarily need to know that a dollar fifty of it was for the mini mart for a Hershey's bar, and a dollar seventy of it was for a Coke at the at you know at the stop and go or whatever. You know, it's just not important to me. Perfectly agree with that. Awesome, sir. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. If you do give that, if you do give every dollar a shot, or if, uh, you know, if you, um, you know, you uh, you make a recommendation, it works for it. Give me a call back. I'd love to hear about it. Again, open phones this hour one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Um, chat room is saying uh, no love for uh, for. Um, uh, where was it? Uh, do, 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 do. This is the problem with the chat room. Uh, no love for Minecraft. No, I like Minecraft. Um, I think that Minecraft. My issue with Minecraft is Minecraft is trying to compete in a in the ship that has sailed world. It's the same issue I have for for uh, Android and iOS competitors. I love the idea. I really want a Linux based phone. I want. I want more than anything. I would love to have a smartphone that I trusted, that I liked, that I enjoyed using. I would love it. That would be fantastic. But the problem I run into time and time again is that these competitors are are trying to compete in a world that is so heavily dominated by iOS and Android, and that ship you're you're not you're not even beginning to compete in the same way because the app infrastructure has just taken off. So that's that's why I hesitate to uh, to. Um, that's why I hesitate to 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 make a a big deal about Minecraft. I, I do want to say hello to the uh, to our mumble room. I see some uh, some grumblings in there at the the chat room. Hey, mumble room, how are you guys? You're doing fine, thanks. Excellent. Doing well, hey, thanks for joining us. We appreciate having you. Anybody has anything uh, to say on on any of the topics? Just uh, just poke me in the chat room, okay? I'll I'll assume that's an okay. <clears throat> so. Like I said, this weekend I have uh, I've had a chance to play with some new technology, some new software. <clears throat> and one of the things that I have been playing with is a new piece of software that is designed, well a new mode of communication really is what it is. A lot of people associate ham radio with old guys with curly white hair that sit into a room sending Morse code uh, with with keys and, and, and tuning weird sounding radios going that's that's how it was described to me noise noise effects and all and uh, every time somebody tells me that I say do you have any I-? every time a new technology comes out every time a new technology comes out it turns out that ham radio operators were at the cutting edge of that technology long before it ever existed for consumers. We play with technology before it ever comes to the consumer. And one of the things that has always intrigued me about Morse code, or CW as we call it in the ham radio world, 
is it works on very, very little bandwidth, uh, just a minuscule amount of bandwidth, just a, just a sliver of bandwidth. And you can go for hundreds of uh, thousands of miles on tiny, tiny amounts of bandwidth and get a message through. The problem of course is if you're not, if, if you don't have geek status like myself and really, really like the idea of communicating in this way, then you're not going to learn Morse code. And a lot of people don't. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging those people. I'm not saying, I'm not mad at you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it is a fact that it is a difficult thing to, to learn. It, it, it takes some dedication. And a new mode for communication has come out onto ham radio. Now, we've been doing digital modes for a long time in ham radio, basically sending data over our radios. But the problem has always been that, you know, computers are very sensitive. They can't, they, they don't exactly make out stuff in static very well. If, there's, if it's not a strong signal, the computer won't receive it. And so we have an all new mode called FT8. And FT8, named after Frank Taylor, and the Frank Taylor design of the FSK8, the, this new FT8 mode is specifically designed for, for very, very small bandwidth communications using data in a terrible RF environment. So it's a very noisy environment and, you know, propagation is very terrible. You don't have a strong signal and you can still get data through. And it is unlike anything else uh, that, that exists in the world as far as I've seen. I mean, there is no other way to send data with that low of signal strength and that poor of conditions and be able to get a message out. And it's absolutely fantastic. I want to talk about that more as the show goes on, but I want to go back to the phones and talk to Anthony from North Carolina. Hey, Anthony, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hello, Noah. This is Anthony. Um, I called and we talked a, a while ago about um, making computer room computers um, blow away their old settings. You suggested okay. um, um, a Pixie server and a custom script you posted on the AltaSpeed um, site. Okay. We are currently using both of those right now with the Fog server. And I'm a Fog server and your script. Excellent. Glad um, to hear that. question for you today is I'm looking for a good L.dot client for Windows and an open source, um, man, um, like, uh, what are we talking about? Mo um, managing solution. So, like, um, what is that? Um, Logmian or remote utility something that I don't have to worry about 40 billion licenses for a bunch of computers that are out in the field. Let me ask you something. Does it absolutely have to be uh, LDAP or does it just have to provide the same functionality that LDAP provides? The same functionality. Gotcha. I have the perfect solution for you. You want to check out free IPA. The uh, address is freeipa.org, And of course we'll have a link for you in the show notes at podcast.asknowashow.com slash 67. But what, uh, what free IP is free IPA is, is a complete, uh, basically recreation of the windows active directory system. And, um, so what it does is it uses the, it uses, um, I think it's, th they call it the 389 directory server. And it pairs that with Kerberos. So if, mm -hmm. you, if you know anything about how the so Active Directory, the way that Active Directory works is it, it's actually it's basically a combination of an LDAP server and a Kerberos server, and you can actually you can actually hack together all of the individual components and kind of make it work. Um, but what this does is it's it's a completely done product for you. 
uh, and it's basically it's just a server you just a server package you just install it and you can then install these clients uh, to enable single sign-on on Windows machines from a web UI on Linux clients and uh, you can set up things like DNS you can manage Active Directory you can you can manage certificates all of this stuff works and it, and, it, and it's it's a very robust project that is that is it's actually in use at Red Hat so we actually I think it was last year almost a year to this date we actually interviewed um, one of the founders I'll go back and see if I can find that episode for you uh, Anthony and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well that's kind of meta but um, I'll sure. see if I can find that episode but ba yeah we interviewed the the one of the guys that that actually started the project or or was very involved with the project and um, what he was able to tell us was basically that Red Hat wanted all of the management infrastructure that you had on a Microsoft Windows systems they wanted Windows systems to be able to authenticate into the system but they wanted it to be open source they wanted it to not you know, be more budget friendly and they wanted it to support Linux and free IPA does all of those things. Uh, and so I, you know, it's, it's a really, really cool thing. And we have a couple of deployments and I am extremely impressed with what we've seen so far with, uh, with the free IPA project. That is awesome. That's not something I probably wouldn't have found cause I was just looking for things to do through, through LDAP. <laughs> Yeah, and there is, uh, you know, there is a uh, there is another project, and I can't think of the name off of my head, off the top of my head. I'll see if I can find it. But there is basically a uh, RASDC. That's the name of it. RASDC. I'm gonna, I'll put a link for this in the show notes uh, for you as well. Um, but RASDC is basically it. It's a very it's a more stripped down version of Free IPA. Basically, what it is is the Linux components that emulate an Active Directory server. So it's not quite as robust. It's not quite as, um, I, I don't know what the word is, um, mature, I guess, as free IPA, but it also doesn't have the same overhead and setup, uh, you know, infrastructure that free IPA has. Now, th it's interesting. The developer, the oh, I think the only developer, but certainly the lead developer for RASDC lives right here in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And uh, I actually, uh, I, when I found when I when I found his project, I called him up and I said, "Hey, I need to meet you. You're doing an amazing project. You're doing a really great job. I'd like to talk to you about your project, what what it's doing, so on and so forth." And I, I had dinner. We we went out for dinner, and uh, I just sat and chatted with him. And I said, um, "You know, would you come on the program? Could you talk about any of this?" He's like, "You know, I don't really have time for that, but um, I, you know, I, I just like giving back to the open source community." And so he's a really great guy. You know, a true true to heart nerd. Um, but what he told me is that the underlying technology that is there, the you know the Samba implementations for authentication, for Active Directory, all of those things are there and work great. They are all mature and production ready. RASDC, which is basically a drop in, I want to have a Samba server that does all of these things thing. That's what RASDC is. That he said he wasn't sure if it's production ready or if you know he's still kind of working out the details. Now, granted, that was almost a year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago, that I had spoken to him, so that may have changed. Free IPA, absolutely production ready, production ready even for enterprise. Uh, there are people that are using it, so I'll have a link for both the RASDC project and the Free IPA project in the show notes. Give those a shot, Anthony, and uh, if you have any questions, give me a call back. Because I'd love to talk to you. I'll also see if I can find the. Um, I'm gonna see if I can find the. Uh, do, do, here we go. Uh, Linux Active Directory, right here. So uh, the name of the uh, show where we interviewed the the free IPA guy is Linux Active Directory, and I will have a link to this show 
in the show notes for today's show. It's Ask Noah Show 10. So podcast.asknoahshow slash one zero if you'd like to, to listen to that. Um, but I think that is a, I think it's a really great project. And again, ever since I've learned about it, I've done a number of deployments, Ulta Speed, actually just the same uh, shameless self-promotion. Uh, we do uh, installations of free IP all the time for people. So if there's anybody out there that wants an installation of free IP and you don't want to sort through the minutiae of it, just give customer care a call at 1-866-280-1433 or send an email to help at altaspeed.com. And somebody would gladly set up a, an appointment for you to, to just knock that out for you. Again, open phones this hour, one 855 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. FT8, the Frank Taylor Design 8 for SFK. So it is a new mode for ham radio. And basically, what you do is you connect your radio to your laptop and you send data over your radio. Now, one of the things that I, I, I constantly get every time I start to talk about connecting computers to radios is people say, well, Noah, how is that any different than me just uh, using my cell phone hotspot? I've connected my computer to a radio, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Your cell phone radio is about 500 milliwatts at the absolute most. That's about a half of a watt to give you an idea. So a half of a watt maybe goes on a good day maybe goes a half a mile, a mile at the absolute most, okay? My radio has 1,500 watts, 1,500 watts as compared to your half watt. Your cell phone is useless. You can get data about, and, and again, that's really, that's in, I'm talking, I'm being very generous when I say a mile. You can get data just about outside of your house and around the city block. And after that, you rely on somebody else's tower, on somebody else's infrastructure to pick your data up and get it to the eventual destination that you need. If you have a home internet connection, your network is capable of getting you data to your demarcation point wherever your ISP picks up. That's as far as your network reaches. And after that, you pay somebody else and you hope that that net neutrality and all of that stuff doesn't come into play, that they actually deliver your data to where you want it to. When I talk about this kind of data, when I'm talking about FT8, I'm talking about I have a box sitting well, about 15 feet behind me, and that box is capable of delivering data to Japan, to China, to New York, wherever I want to send it, and I don't rely on anybody. I rely on a little wire that hangs outside of this building, that box, and my computer, and that is an amazing amount of freedom once that clicks for you. But this is all to say that ham radio is not just about sending dits and daws in a pile of static. So I have my laptop connected to the radio. And in fact, um, I have begun using uh, what we call CAT or computer-aided transceiver. So basically there's a cable, USB cable, that plugs into your computer. And the computer can then not only send data over the radio through a different set of cables, but the CAT cable actually allows it to control the radio. So I, for, I can do everything right from in the software. I don't even, I could put the radio at this point. I like looking at it because I think it's cool, but you could actually put the radio inside of a rack and never touch it. So this new digital mode, which is basically, it's an iteration on the JT65. Now JT65 was a previous way to send data over ham radio. And basically the way JT65 worked, it would send for 30 seconds and it was received for 30 seconds. And so you it was about a minute uh, to complete a data transfer of, you know, I'm, I'm an entire data exchange, we'll call it. I send and I receive. Uh, FT8 has that down to 15 seconds. So we have a 15 second transmit time and a 15 second receive time. And um, 
the thing that I, the thing that I, you know, when I first started learning about FT8, and I was like, man, this, I mean, this could work from all over the world. We could receive communication from it. Man, it would be really cool to get that involved on the Ask Noah show somehow, you know, have people make contacts with the show or something like that. The problem is FT8 really isn't what we call a rag chew mode. It's not really for having discussions. It's basically just for proving that we can establish a point-to-point contact. Now, obviously, I can send whatever text I want to send. But for the purpose of expediency and for the purpose of being able to talk to a lot of people very fast, you have to understand how a basic contact works. And so basically what we've done is instead of, I mean, we could do a contact where I just say, hey, is anybody out there? And then somebody could get come back and say, hey, I, I'm out there. I, I would like to talk to you. Okay, where are you at? Well, I'm in North Carolina. Oh, I'm over in North Dakota. Okay, well, that was cool. It was great to talk to you. Uh, can I uh, go ahead and log you as a contact? Yeah, you can. What's your what's your call sign? And I would give them my call sign, then they would give me their call sign. What a call sign is, is a series of numbers and letters which are assigned to every ham radio operator by the federal government, and that's how they identify themselves on the air. Now, you've actually heard a call sign. You, you've heard it if you ever listen to your favorite radio station, but you've heard it even here on this program because we used to do the top of the ID, top of the hour ID. So we would say KEQQ. That, those are the call letters of the radio station that we, uh, that we do this program for. So the minimum necessary exchange is the call sign of the person that is talking, the call sign of the person that you want to talk to, the signal strength, how well they're being received to the person you're talking to, and what we call the grid, which is basically where you are. So we have a location and the data world gets a little more complicated because we codified a little bit more, I guess you could say. And so it makes less sense because we try to get those letters down a little bit more. So the, the traditional I'm calling anybody, I want to talk to anybody on the air. We use the, the letters C and Q. And uh, it's, it's kind of a play on words. If I say seek you, S-C-E-K-Y-O-U, I'm seeking you. If I abbreviate that down to just two letters, it would be CQ. And the reason we want to abbre- abbreviate it into as short letters, as, a few letters as possible, is because back in the days when we were using Morse code, it was easier to send dot, 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 which is the letter C and Q, than it was to actually actually spell out seek did it did it did it you know you can just see how that would be it would be it would be a long morse code string and so we would abbreviate those into smaller letters well that that practice has carried through even though we have modes like voice we could just talk on the radio and even though we have these new modes like data we still use some of those traditional calling mechanisms so when you get on the air and you want to speak to somebody you don't really care who it is you just want to say is there anybody out there i'd like to make a contact we use the letter CQ. And so I like to relate it to a, a voice competition because it's a little bit easier to understand than, than the data competition. So we'll take November sweepstakes, for example. It's a competition that happens uh, in November. And basically the idea is to contact as many places as you can. And so what you would say is you would say something like CQ sweeps, CQ sweeps, and then your call sign, CQ sweeps, CQ sweeps, KC0SK. And I would just call that over and over and over again until somebody wants to talk to me. And when somebody wants to talk to me, so we'll use the ARRL, for example, their call sign is W1AW. And so they would simply say their call sign. They would wait till I'm done saying CQ sweep, CQ sweeps, KC0SK, and they would say W1AW. And what you'll find is if you sit there for just a little while, you'll start to get a bunch of people, what we call a pileup, piling on top of each other, trying to talk to you, especially me, because I'm from North Dakota. There's not a lot of us out here. And so we're kind of a 
we're kind of a hot contact to hit if you can talk to somebody from North Dakota. Oh, did you just get running water? Yeah, we did. And we have electricity. It's amazing. Uh, and so they would come out and they'd say W1AW. And then I would say something like W1AW, KC0SK. I would give the, the place I'm at, so North Dakota or whatever, the in November sweepstakes, there's a an identifier that tells you what kind of station you are. So you're running on batteries. Are you running, are you running on, you know, full AC power? Are you running on a portable tower, that kind of thing. Are you, are you running as a group? Are you running as a club? Are you running individually? Are you running on solar? Uh, so there's a little identifier. And then I give my call sign, their signal, their stra- signal strengths. I'd say, you know, I got you five by nine and my call sign cases your SK. Well, this new software, not new software, but software that supports this new mode that has come out. Uh, the software is called WSJTX, and I have it right here on my laptop. I've been playing with it completely, fully open source, available as a DEB or as an RPM. And what the software allows you to do is basically put in all of the data that you want to send to this this station. So, for example, you would set one button that would just say CQ, 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 KC0, SKE. And then if somebody answers you, and somebody says KC0SKE, this is, we'll use W1AW, for example, your signal strength is five by nine, and here's the, here's our grid number. The software automatically understands that that person is talking to me because it knows what my call sign is and will automatically reply with my reply to them. So it'll say W1AW, I'm KC0SKE, here's your signal strength, and here's my grid number. And the contact is complete. Now, that is a... If there are those of you out there that are like, well, that, that's dumb. So you set a computer up, you connect it to a radio, you click a button, and then the computer sends things back and forth and then basically just spits out a log of here's all the people I was able to talk about. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. You're right. And because of that, I, I can't really think of a way that I could incorporate this into the show. It wouldn't be very exciting to, to watch. But I want to throw this out there. If there is somebody out there that has an interest in in incorporating ham radio into the show more, I would like to know because we are at a, I don't know, impact, not an impasse. That's not the right word. We, we are at a juncture where we have, we have to decide what the next thing we're going to concentrate on. Um, so one of the things we did at the beginning of the year is we lined up a couple of public speaking things. And this, the next thing we've done is we lined up a couple of outreach things. So we're going to write some articles and put that out there and see what print media can do and see where we get some bites, where people say, yeah, we're interested in that. And one of the things I have noticed is anytime I talk about a new product or a new service, or when I talk about ham radio, I get a ton of feedback. Hey man, I'm not even a ham, but I really enjoyed the content. Hey man, I, I, I've been a ham for a number of years. I really enjoy when you talk about ham radio. It seems to go over big. I don't ever get negative. I don't ever get negative feedback of people saying, I wish you'd stop talking about ham radio because it's just not for me. And I just don't care. Uh, and the download numbers seem to stay up even when we talk about ham radio and we've only done it one or two times. Um, but I've gotten a lot of positive influence on it. And so it's one of the things that I'm considering incorporating more. And so I need some help determining exactly what that looks like. Do we connect a HF radio to our sound system? Something that there's a reason there's a, there's a, a Yezu FT 1000 MP Mark five in here. And it's because we were testing, connecting it to our broadcast council to see if we could, you know, basically connect this to, to the air. And there are some FCC regulations that I have to, uh, that I, that I have to, to step around very carefully. Um, and so we are aware of that. So if there's any hams out there going, I about to broadcast. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm, I believe me. I'm well aware of it. But is that something that you'd be interested in? 
having an ability to maybe ask a question on the show over ham radio over a specific band maybe we incorporate some sort of digital mode we maybe we don't i mean i don't know that ft8 would be the the digital mode that we would use maybe we use something like um you know fsk or something but is there a digital mode that you guys would be like oh yeah that's that i would really i would really appreciate being able to send a question and over 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 the over the air essentially really uh maybe we do something with echolink and do it over software or irlp maybe we make an irlp node i'm open to all of those things um and so the decision is going to come in the next couple of months where the next thing that we're going to focus on. But uh, I, if, if you guys have feedback, would you please let me know live at asknoahshow.com. Shoot me an email or head over to asknoahshow.com. Use the contact form. We're also, I, I said this uh, two weeks ago, still remains true. We're going to start trying to be more involved in the Reddit. We have a Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash asknoahshow. We're going to try to be more involved in the community there. Of course, uh, you can always submit suggestions at telegram.asknoahshow.com. I'm going to take this call here. It looks like uh, he's been sitting there for a little bit. Uh, maybe our call screener got tied up with something. Um, good evening. You're on the air. Hi, Noah. Um, I'm Chris from Ottawa, Canada. Um, we actually met at uh, Linux Fest Northwest. It was great to meet you and Chris when I was able to get my work to send me down there. Absolutely, sir. So I got, uh, well, following up on what you just spoke about, I am not a ham radio operator, but I have enjoyed the conversations that you've had about it just because I've been interested in all kinds of communication media, and ham is not something that falls in my purview at all, but I do really like to hear about it. So awesome. I'll give you that feedback right now. Thank you. But now my, uh, my question to you, I've got, I've got two quick ones if I can. First one's mundane, second one's more fun. Um, my CEO's office, we have a TV hooked up to his computer so that he can sit down and have the other directors come in and watch broadcasts. But now he wants to do um, conferencing, and I'm looking for a wireless camera, a wireless conference camera that I could hook up to his PC. Okay. So you want to do like a Hangouts thing, but you want the camera to be wireless? Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Yeah. Ah. There is a... Let me see here. Uh, let me see if I can find the brand name off the top of my head. There is there there's a bunch of them that do this, but there's one that is particularly particularly budget friendly and has amazing performance. If I could just find it here, um, do, 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 do. let's see here. The, sorry about this, folks. This is what happens when you have uh, when you have a live radio show. Is uh, sometimes you have to uh, do this stuff live right on the air. Yes, it is. No, that's not it either. Ah, Armcrest. Uh, there is a uh, there is a camera with a brand name called Armcrest. It's a sixty nine dollar camera, ten eighty p. Does Wi Fi or is wired? Um, you can you can set the thing up almost like the Nest cams, where you can you know angle it down, turn it left and right. All of that stuff will pair with a smartphone. But the thing that the Armcrest does that a lot of the other cameras don't do is it allows you to send what we call an RTMP feed. And if you're not familiar with RTMP, it's the real-time media streaming protocol. And what RTMP does is you can actually ingest that RTMP feed into something like OBS and uh, or FFmpeg or wherever, and consequently you can then send it out as a webcam feed or integrate it into Hangouts or integrate it into you know, whatever your webcast thing that you're using is. Uh, and so, if you, okay. do you know, sorry, sorry, do you, do you know if it uh, plays well with Skype? I'm sorry to ask. 
No, that's okay. Um, as far so the yes, yes, and I'll tell you how how I how I come to that conclusion. I've never used it with Skype. However, the reason I can tell you that it would it would work with Skype is because Skype will just look for whatever the V4L camera in Linux is, and the you can you can use FFmpeg to send an an RTMP feed as a video for Linux device. So because the camera can generate an RTMP feed and because FFmpeg can send an RTMP feed as a V4L device and because Skype only looks for whatever the default V4L device is, yes, you can use the camera. Yes, you'd be able to use this camera with Skype. Now, here's the only, here's the only, downs, the only problem I'm foreseeing you running into. The newest version of Skype has this weird little quirk with it where you can't actually select a a camera device you have to rely on whatever the default device is and so if your computer has a built-in webcam i've run into issues where i can't select the second camera and i've had to go through some extensive lengths to disable that camera so that the uh, so that it'll pick the next camera up as the default cam okay um, there is another that's, option. That's not a problem. There, there is another option if you just want, uh, if you just want Skype. There is. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can find it. Uh, oh, jeez. It's, it's frustrating because I have these things that bounce around in the back of my, uh, in the back of my mind, and then I try to get them to come out when I need them, and sometimes it doesn't always work. But there is a. Uh, is this? No, that's not it either. There is another one. I'll see if I can find it. But there is another camera that is specifically designed for Skype, and it's uh, it's one of these jobbies that it actually sits on top of your TV, and. Uh, Let's see. It sits on top of your TV, and it's designed to 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 basically. It has basically Skype built into the box. It has like a little mini computer built into okay. it, and you can do Skype over that thing as well. And uh, here we go. Uh, it is the Logitech BCC 950. I'll have a link for this in the show notes uh, for you as well. But this is basically an all-in-one um, Skype conference center thing. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit more expensive. It's, uh, it's about 200 bucks. But the nice thing about this thing is it's all in one. So it has, it has an audio interface, uh, like a, a high quality speakerphone interface. It has a 1080p camera built in and uh, is specifically designed for doing video conference. So, and it would be a lot less hacky than my RTMP feed suggestion. Although, to be fair, the RTMP feed suggestion will work with any sort of conferencing thing, whereas this one is likely yeah. only going to work with Skype. Perfect. Okay, those sound good. Now, do you have? Do I still have a moment to give you a, a much uh, more interesting question? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I've recently taken up biking to work, which goes about 35 to 40 minutes, depending on wind speed. And what I want to do is I want to actually track the wind speed that is relative to me as I'm biking. So I've been like planning a minor like windsock antenna thing that I could put on the back of my bike. Okay, but I have a uh, sorry, and I have a Raspberry Pi three. So I'm looking for. Do you know of any project, uh, product, or projects that I could put on there and like wire that up with a battery pack and have it record as I as I ride? Hmm. That that is an interesting question. Um, because it's not just measuring wind speed; it's locking it, right? Yes. 
Here's why I ask. I, I have a device, uh, and I can actually find it on pretty short order here because I have a couple of them. I keep this in my, I, I do, a, it's, you know, it's actually a great tie-in with uh, ham radio because I, I do storm spotting in the summer. And uh, there is a device by A-C-E-M-E, I don't know how you pronounce that, but it's the GM816, and it's a handheld anemometer. And so basically, it uh, it measures wind speed. It's only like 15 bucks, and I, I, keep, one, I keep one in my car. And I keep one in my ham radio go bag when I do um, when I do uh, storm spotting. The, the issue here is though it doesn't log anything; it just will simply show it to you. And I'm just trying; I'm just looking to see if if there's anything, any projects that that come to light. I'm not seeing anything that that jump out at me. But what I can do is I can. Um, you know, a lot of times, what will happen is we'll air an episode, and a lot of people will write into the show and they'll say, "Hey, you didn't know about this particular project, but this is what the guy's looking for." I bet you nine to one, somebody uh, writes in and says. Uh, you know, this is what you want. And uh, actually, so, so yeah. And what, actually chat room just points out, it says I have a BCC nine. Is that the one I, is that the one I have? BCC nine fifty BCC. No, wait, that's a different one, but yeah, he has, uh, but yeah, he has, Oh, okay. So that's, that's, that's something else. That's, uh, that's for the camera. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I don't have anything that logs for you. Did you have software that you're using to log and you're just looking for, uh, no, for measurement. No, th- th- this is just an idea that's been popping in my head. I did an Amazon search. I found a few things that will tie into my phone and give me stats as I go. But I was wondering if there was something I could build and then log and then keep the logs for me as I go. Chat room to the win. Chat room for the win. Uh, XMN saves the day. He has a, a link to a project from Hackaday called the Raspberry Pi Wind Measurement, and uh, I'll put a link okay. to this device in the uh, or this project. In the show notes, but basically, uh, what this is is a measurement tool. Uh, basically, you turn your Raspberry Pi into an anemometer. Oh, this is cool! Oh, they have a little. Oh, wow! And they have a little video that goes with it too. Oh, this is really cool. This this would be uh, this would be quite the involved project to build up. But I, I think this would be something you might want to check take a look at. I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. Um, and we got. Please and thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we have full show notes this week. Yeah, Raspberry Pi wind management or measurement. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, hey, do me a favor. Can you give me a call back uh, if and when you do this and, and let me know how this works out? This is really cool. This piques my interest. Yeah, I will definitely do so. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for calling in. We appreciate having you. Got a couple minutes left if anybody wants to call in. one 855 That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. Uh, just in the last minute, I just want to touch on... Uh, on one thing, real quickly, we are going to be live at Southeast Linux Fest. That's coming up in just two short weeks. Uh, we will be doing a lot of broadcasting from there. We're going to have live coverage of the events. We're going to have a show probably every day, it sounds like. So may, we're ordering uh, some very special, very expensive equipment to facilitate doing the broadcast from there and bringing you coverage we're hoping to bring you coverage from inside of the the actual talk so we can air some of those you don't just have to listen uh to me now the 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 fine folks the av staff itself are going above and beyond to to really make it a a true event and they've asked me to step in uh to help host the thing um, but they are primarily doing it themselves uh, and so it'll be a self-event, and so I, I don't have any of the actual stream details on, on where you can watch the stream and stuff like that. I uh, I need to have a conversation with Chris to find out if JB is going to pick it up. I assume that they will, and of course, we'll restream it at asnoshow.com. Hey, did you know this show is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To to see what the show notes are or to download any of the past episodes, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. There, that's where you'll find all of the resources that we mentioned in this episode. To stay up to date, follow us on Twitter at AskNoahShow and of course, Facebook.com slash AskNoahShow. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener. We'll see you back next week at AskNoahShow.com for another episode.